Hello, everyone. I'm Steve with Steve Talks About Books and Stuff. I'm here with Rello Reads and our friend Miles Hurt, the author of Red Harvest Moon. Miles, thanks for joining us today. Thanks very much for having me. And congratulations on, on Red Harvest Moon. It looks like the reception has been really positive. And what does it feel like to finally have your book out there? It feels fantastic, actually. It's uh, It takes takes a fair while to write a book. So to have it have it finished and out in the world and having people reading it is it's been fantastic actually so it's been really pleasing to hear some of the early responses and people connecting with it and um yeah it could be happier it's really good awesome so how long did it take you to write red harvest moon uh in a way it took my whole life really but um i'd, I'd say probably about two and a half years um it's it it's a bit tricky for me because I work full time. So I have to write in the evening and on the weekends and on holidays and so forth. So I squeeze in writing where I can. So um, it's it's taken me about two and a half years from start to finish to, to get it done. So yeah, about, about that long, I'd say, yeah. Nice. So do you have the series planned out or are you just kind of going book by book? Uh, <laughs> It's a bit tricky to say. I've I've got the whole I've got an end worked out. Let's put it that way. So I know that there's a lot of fantasy authors that, well, I feel that there's a lot of fantasy authors that maybe don't have the end worked out. So I think it's fairly important for me to know where I want to go with this. Mm -hmm. um, I'm looking at about seven books, so okay. seven times two and a half years. No, hopefully I can get the next ones done a bit quicker. Um, <laughs> But it's, I do have an end worked out, but uh, in, even in writing a short story, um, you'll have your end worked out, but you, you won't actually use that ending, if you know what I mean. So it's just mm -hmm. your sort of ideal destination, but, you know, creativity being what it is, it's not, it's not, um, it's not definite that I'll have, that I'll use that ending, so. With the initial reaction that you got from this book, like my reaction and a couple of reactions you already got, uh, did it change anything in the future sequels by any chance? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I'd, yeah, probably. I'd say so. But I think that's um, it's it's always going to happen. There's going to be feedback coming in. Um, and it's it's probably all already. So I've already started writing the next one in the series. And um, some of the feedback that I've received um, has, has it's, it just plays on your mind, obviously, because if, mm -hmm. if you read a review and somebody makes a really good observation, you sort of think to yourself, okay, well, I, can, I can, you know, twiddle the knobs, so to speak, and uh, include some of that information. So Steve, for example, had a great observation about more um, character moments, and, and my partner read the book as well, and she made the same observation. So, you know, next book, we'll have some more character observations. So um unfortunately red harvest moon is set in stone now so that's that's part of the when you're writing a, a a long series and you have to sort of bring out bring one out um you know if from now on if i have another great idea that i can't use because of what's happened in red harvest moon i just have to suck it up from this point on but yeah absolutely um i listen to feedback and it's 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 really great to have had that because for two and a half years I'm, i've just been writing in a vacuum really and just in my own head and to have people um, give me feedback about what they liked and the things that I made conscious choices about to put in there that they've, they've picked up on and said, well, this is good, or maybe this was a problem. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's, it's quite gratifying to, to have 
made an effort to put something in the book that uh, a reviewer has picked up on. That's really great. Yeah. So yeah, that's right. I, I mentioned in my review, but one thing that really stuck out to me is, is the way you described environments. Cause I felt like I was there. Mm -hmm. I felt like I could see, like I was in the world. It wasn't like I was looking at it from, I was there walking in the village and seeing the people and the buildings. And so I thought that was really, really well done. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, and that's probably why it takes takes so long to get the book the book done because to get to get that to work, it's it's fairly labor intensive. So I have to basically write write a sentence and then imagine what what what's the visual impression that someone's getting from that, and then what's the next visual impression, and what's the next one, and it has to sort of flow smoothly and create a, a greater picture in the the reader's mind. So. That's that's what I bet, that's what I was working hard to achieve. So it was really pleasing to see that you you guys picked up on that and um, saw it as a feature of the book. So thanks for that. How, how would you describe Red Harvest Moon to someone who's not familiar with it? Uh, well, I in a nutshell, I I pitch it as it's the Seven Samurai but with monsters. <laughs> that that's the elevator pitch for me. It's it's a, it's a small village under attack from the, this sort of external force. Uh, in this case, the the ghouls of Urizen, mm -hmm. and um, there's the the wandering swordsman who comes to their their aid somewhat reluctantly. So um, it's for me, it, it's it's um, I suppose an archetypal story. So we've seen that uh, elsewhere. So I'm not claiming to have you know crafted an original story, but taking that archetype and then trying to do something a bit unusual with it and make a sort of modern uh, fantasy. So that's that's the elevator pitch for Red Harvest Moon. It's, uh, it's seven samurai, but, but with monsters. But there's, there's, there's not seven samurai, obviously. But um, one, one thing that I w have tried to emphasize and um, another reviewer picked up this is, I suppose the sort of Japanese influence on my own writing. So it uh, another thing that I've sort of tried to keep in mind as I was writing it was it would look Western but feel Japanese in a way. So I don't know if that makes makes sense, but that that's what I tried to keep in mind. So um, obviously it's a sort of, uh, it's meant to be a familiar uh, medieval setting. So there's a lot of detail about um, the, the sort of feudal village, the three, three field system, all that kind of thing, but with um, Japanese influences. So the, the, the religion in that um, in, they have in Soren is based on Shinto, which is a, a Japanese uh, faith. And I really like that. I think it works really well in a fantasy setting because it basically imbues everything with this sort of natural spirit. So trees have got this sort of magical presence and streams and mountains and everything is imbued with this sort of spiritual energy. So I thought that was really good to, to sort of borrow that as well. So I think I'm kind of rambling on a little bit about your question was, how do you describe the book? But um yeah, so that's 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 a little bit of an idea of where my inspiration came from and what I was trying to achieve with with the book. So writing the first book, Red Harvest Moon, obviously, it took you almost three years, right? Two and a half, you mentioned earlier. Um, mm -hmm. This second book, now that you somewhat have an audience and people ready for it, mm -hmm. do you feel any kind of pressure like to finish it earlier? Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> but 
but it's good it's good pressure that's that's the beauty of it um it's it's great that there's people out there that have read the first one and and they've said you know i want to read the second one this is great let's let's keep it going but um you know to to get it right and to make it for me to be happy with it i need to give it a, a certain amount of time so i don't think it'll take as long i'm looking at hopefully having it out within a year but um it is it, it's as I say, so I have a full-time job. I've got two kids um, and there's other things going on in my life. I'd, I'd love to just be able to sit down every day and write for eight hours, but unfortunately that's not the case at the moment. So um, the pressure, the, I suppose the pressure is I'm mainly feeling it myself. So I mainly want, want it to be a book that I can look back on and go, yeah, I, I did it as well as I possibly could have. And I feel that way about Red Harvest Moon. I, I think I maybe I could have kept tweaking it, but I reached a certain point where I just thought it's probably about as good as I'm going to get it. Let's put it out there. Um, and it's been great to have reader feedback and people saying, look, I'm really looking forward to the next one. A lot of people have talked about how um, they're interested in the world and you know what's beyond the borders and so forth and some interest in some other cultures and so forth. A lot of that stuff is fleshed out and I'm, the second novel is all about just expanding it a little bit more. So um, I'm sort of billing it as epic fantasy. A few people have sort of commented that it's it's uh, uh, the story's only set over a day and it's the stakes are fairly small. So it's all um, within one village. And again, that was intentional. Um, but now it's it's I'm ready to sort of start expanding the borders, so to speak, and, you know, making a little bit more epic as we go along. And hopefully the next one's going to be a little bit longer as well. So, yeah. It was very short, for but for, 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 for a first book, that was a good length, but for, mm. I'm a big fan, and I wish it was a little bit longer, uh, but I believe when it's a first book, uh, you gave each character enough room mm -hmm. to be, like, to develop throughout the uh, throughout the book, especially the, the main character. Um, why did you decide to keep him so mysterious in the beginning, and as the story progressed, we learned more about him? Was that intentional in the beginning or did you want him to be like a little mysterious uh well you know you're aiming for dark and brooding so you can't you can't give everything away <laughs> on the first couple of pages um yeah i i, I think it's part partly my own learning about ren um the main character learning about his own background as i'm writing it and um that my own sort of getting to know this guy process sort of comes through in the book as well and he's, he's definitely not the sort of character that you want everything up on the surface but you, you know at first glance um that there's you know still waters run deep so to speak with Ren. so um and there's even there's there's you know there's more to come so i've i've got the backstory for the main character and for the other characters as well and it's been fully intentional just to sort of package it out within a, you know some within the first novel and then we build on it in the next novel, etc. So there's things that Ren doesn't know about his own life that he's going to discover as the as the journey continues. Yeah, I, I was a fan of the size of the book. It was it was enough to to tell a story and to get to know the world and the characters in it, but it wasn't so much that it was you know overwhelming. So I thought that was I thought that was nice that it wasn't too much. It was enough to where you it was a nice taste and you want more. Yeah. So keep us keep us coming back yeah cheers so i i'm actually 
a fan of shorter books myself. So I, I've got a pretty short attention span. So um, I, I understand within the genre, you, you get a lot of books that are six, 700 pages long. And I'm, I'm really daunted by that. So yeah. um, I know, Raul, you read something like 18 books last week, but for me, that'd be... <laughs> Yeah, that's that. It takes. I read. I would probably read about ten books in a year. So mm. I quite like to be able to pick up a book that's two hundred and fifty pages long and just be immersed and you know be able to not feel like oh my god I'm bogged down in the middle and I've still got three hundred pages to go. So it was kind of intentional and it's a little bit of an experiment to see how people would respond because I feel that might be a little bit of a a niche market for that kind of thing. So. Mm something that's um, not light in terms of light and fluffy, but something that's a bit easier to get into. And as you described earlier, Steve, so the idea is it's meant to just be just immersive. You're in the moment when you're reading the story and we're not jumping back to 150 years ago, this happened and, you know, this, mm-hmm. this kingdom and that house and that person and blah, blah, blah. It's meant to be kind of, you know, um, just a flow of images and you just sort of, you're just along for the ride. Um, so that's all intentional. I would like to expand on that. So I'm thinking like 300, 350 pages would be the, the perfect page count for that. Sounds all right. Oh, another, another question. Okay. So my favorite part in the book was um, Crim's sense of humor. Was <laughs> he, did you, when you first created that character, did you want... Um, well, how, how can I phrase this correctly? Because there's a big contrast between Ren and Crimp, right? Yeah. I, I, I believe like Ren is more serious and Crimp is like funny. He has like this sense of yep. humor. Was that yep. intentional? Like to have the contrast between the two? Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's I suppose it's, um, it's good to have that kind of buddy, buddy cop dynamic where you've got the straight guy and then you've got the, the, the wise ass sort of cracking jokes all the way through. So that's, that's, that's what I was going for. So it's, uh, you know, it's great that you guys sort of, you know, found it funny because it's difficult to know. It's difficult to know if I write a joke um, a year and a half ago, whether or not it's going to, it's going to land. So yes, yes. Intentional. <laughs> there was some, definitely some good, some good, com- some good comedic moments in the book. <laughs> Just I had to stop for a minute and laugh because it was, there was some funny, funny moments. Yes, it's a bit tricky to balance because, you, you know, there's death and destruction all around and then you've got this guy cracking jokes. But I think it's, it's something that the modern reader likes and almost expects to have a little bit of levity coming through the page as well. So, uh, Writing a fantasy book, was it important to you to, have, to make it accessible for, for more? Like, do you, did you make an effort to tone down the violence or the language or mm. anything like that in a, in a way to make it more accessible for... A large amount of people. Um, no, I, I, it's, it's violence is an interesting question because I know that there's, there's a bit of an emergence of this this new genre, grimdark, and mm-hmm. um, that just seems to be sort of no holds barred. I, I do have my own personal limits about what I would put into a story, but um, I think that what I'm comfortable with is actually more violent than what I would think that I would be comfortable with. So in, you know, in my own real life, I'm, you know, I'm a pacifist and nonviolent and would run from a fight. But um, (laughs) I think that in, in a story, 
I, I quite like a little bit of violence. It's, I suppose it's, you know, it's just adds to the drama and the tension, but um, I didn't really make an effort to tone anything down, but I did have an idea that it, it's not a story for children and it's not, it's not intended to be young adult either. I'm sure, you know, 15 year old me would have loved to have read something like this, but it's not, it's not a story for kids. Um, so my own children are banned from reading it at the moment. Um, but yeah, so, but there's limits to it. I know, um, reading, um, like Michael Fletcher, for example, or, you know, even Joe Abercrombie or someone like that, mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're another level up above from me, but you know, when I, I said to my partner, oh, what book are you up? What, what part of the, when she was reading it, what part of the book are you up to? And she said, I'm up to the part where the guy gets his eye scooped out with a spoon. And I thought, that's pretty full on. <laughs> so, I don't know. That was a stand yeah. It is memorable, for sure. Yeah. yeah. It was great. When uh, it comes to, sorry, we can see. No, no, go ahead, bro. When it comes to the villains in this uh, story, why did you choose to, why why did you put two of them and uh like i didn't even i believe like when i started reading this i thought i think you pronounce the name cron cron yeah i say cron yeah. yeah i i didn't even i didn't believe that he was the villain at first i believe that i believe his name is sosa sosa mm. yeah, yeah i thought he was the main villain the whole mm. time and yeah. i i thought that maybe uh cron was just like he one of his like victims like he was just dragging them along to be like the muscle yeah. so when we learn later obviously this is a little bit of spoiler uh that kron is actually like very dead like he's very deadly he's very uh yeah. he was like pretty much the brains behind it all but just it, it was the talisman that he was using right to control them yeah it's so it's it's kind of um the the idea is that the um the ghouls and Krond uh, have this black blood, which is, it's sort of basically their, um, you know, so it sort of ties in with their nervous system. So essentially the the ghouls and the blood sun, so Krond is a blood sun, so he's sort of like a, um, a lucid or intelligent ghoul, essentially. Um, but they're under the thrall of the adept who are like the sorcerers of Urizen, but um the sort of the the backstory would be that um charnak who is the the dark lord um left behind this sort of science technology magic that the adept are kind of exploiting so they they use that to um i suppose manufacture this this army that they can then you know use for their own ends mm -hmm. and so krond is devout so he's he's like a sort of zealot he believes in the, the will of Charnak and his ultimate desire to, you know, destroy the universe. Yeah. Um, and, but whether or not the adept and people like um, Zoso re are really on the same page with that is, is not quite, um, not quite known. So what, are they just exploiting this, this sort of left behind magic and technology? So that's where um, I suppose with the two villains, they're in conflict. So Krond is definitely very zealous and he's um, engaged on this almost religious mission mm -hmm. to destroy. <laughs> and um, Zoso is, he's on a sort of a military mission. Um, he's got these military objectives that he wants to achieve and he's, he's, it's not all about um, doing, they're not exactly on the same page with it. So 
that's where the sort of conflict lies. So who is the main villain? I'd probably say that Krond would, would be the, ma- the major antagonist because he's matched up with Ren in many ways. So where Ren um, is struggling with this idea of being a loyal, a loyal knife, just like a knight in, from his culture, um, and he's sort of pushing against that. Krond is, I suppose, a bit similar to that because he's the blood son. So they're, they're kind of like the, the knights of that culture. So um, so there's meant to be that that parallel between them, which is why I think that Ren and Krond are so, I don't know, fascinated by one another and determined to encounter one another and test their, their skills against each other. So that would make him the main antagonist in that case. And I liked that the villain wasn't, we didn't know everything about the villain. We still don't know everything about the villain and everything. So I like that there was enough to to set the table, but there wasn't so much to where we knew everything right away. So that's another mm-hmm. that's another part that I really enjoyed. I want to know more about them, where they came from, the whole backstory. So that'll be, I'll be anxious. I'm anxious to, to learn more about them. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> I'm anxious to make up more stuff about them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when did you when did you want to start when did you want when did you decide to to write a, a novel and to and to get it out there in the world? Um, well, I've, I've basically always wanted to be a writer and have always written. So I think most writers that have a similar kind of life story where um, I've always enjoyed writing and um, have always if I've ever written something and shared it with someone, I've usually got a positive response. Um, so it's something that I enjoy doing and I I spent a lot of time in my early years writing short stories so I, I wrote a lot of short stories and sort of sought publication in magazines and that um, that process was great to sort of I suppose develop my skills and find out what worked and what didn't um, you face a lot of rejection when you sort of play that game so um, I, I spent a lot of time writing and then you know looking at these rejection slips and getting feedback from editors and thinking, what am I doing wrong? Um, slowly but surely getting some acceptances for some short stories. So after a while I started to think, well, I think I might be onto, onto the general process here. Let's try a novel. I actually wrote a novel, uh, my first, first attempt at a novel about uh, 10, 10 or so years ago. And it was, again, it was a fantasy novel and um, it was, it was around the idea of like a sort of thief in a fantasy setting. And the idea was going to be, it was going to be like, you know, Ocean's Eleven, but in a fantasy world. And I thought, I thought no one's done that before. That's pretty cool. And then, you know, Locke Lamora came out and a few other things. And I thought, okay, I think, you know, this, this is, this is something. Um, and, but I, I couldn't really bring a different landing. I think it was because it was my first one. Um, I kind of got a fair, fairly, uh, quite bogged down um with writing it so i put that one on the shelf and then had another go so i actually have written another novel and published another one i've got a copy of it here um this is called a thousand one monsters you must slay before you die and again this is a this is light too this is only 100 160 pages (laughs) so i think that maybe i just write short books but um (laughs) so that i wrote that um kind of in response to this idea I, I just kept seeing the same sort of stories over and over again and I thought I'm just gonna I'm gonna try and write something that's different so 
the, the main character is 83 years old. He's an old man. He's at, almost at the end of his life, but he's just like this crazy survivor in this apocalyptic scenario. And rather than, you know, a story with a, a you know, the, um, you know, the hero cycle with the, the call to adventure, etc. There's none of that. It's just a sort of series of um, crazy events. Um, I had a great time writing it and I just thought I'm going to put it out and I, I knew that it wasn't going to get uh, picked up by a publisher. So I didn't even bother sending it off to a publisher. I just There's no way they're going to publish this. Anyone's going to publish this because it's completely out of left field. It's um, if you like my sense of humor, you probably like this book because it's it's meant it's more kind of your Terry Pratchett, Douglas Adams style um, humor, basically. So I just tried to sort of crack as many stupid jokes as I could and put this character in as many. He's a complete coward. He, he's always, you know, hiding under a desk when the action's going down. And um, I, I thought it was hilarious. I had a great time writing it. I thought I'll put it out there and it did pretty well. Um, in sort of self-pub circles, I suppose you'd say, but um, didn't light the world on fire. So after I wrote that, I thought, okay, so that was fun, but I'm not sure if I want to go back to the well on that one. I could possibly write another book in that that world. I still might. Um, and then I just thought, well, I, I want to write something that will, will be a bit more likely to find an audience. So I sort of come back to that idea of um, what do people want to read? And so I essentially just thought, uh, I just write down everything that I, I am interested in as a reader and everything that I wanted to write and basically just put a circle around a few things that I wanted to focus on. And that was, I've always wanted to write a fantasy novel, like an epic fantasy novel. So I grew up reading Tolkien um, and loving it. And, but I also have that interest in sort of Akira Kurosawa sort of stuff. Um, and then, so I just sort of brought all that together and thought, this is it. And um, just really focused on that. So it was good to be able to sort of reach that point in my development where, and I, I suppose my writing skills have probably improved a little bit over the years as well, where everything just sort of came together and clicked for me. And um, now that I've, I've got Red Harvest Moon there, and it's sort of, for me, that's hopefully they're going to be the cornerstone for the next few years of my writing where, you know, there'll be the series coming out and, you know, um, I want to sort of build my name around that that series. Mm -hmm. um, if people want to come back to 1001 Monsters, You Must Slay Before You Die. I have sold a couple of extra copies on the, the back of Red Harvest Moon. So it's it's kind of fun to think of people discovering that and having a read. Yeah, yeah. that's where they come from. I'll be reading that one. Give it a go. Yeah, give it a go. I can't, I can't do 27 books in a week like we're all can, but, <laughs> but I'll get through. I 160 pages. Oh, what was the question? I had a question. Let me think of it before it slips. Okay, let's see. We're talking about the book. So uh, while, while Raul is thinking of his question, Miles, uh, what what type of books do you like to read? Do you have any favorites? Um, yeah, I I wish I could read faster, but um, I I really like I like fantasy, but I don't exclusively read fantasy novels. Um, I. I'd say that I, I grew up reading Tolkien, as I said, mm -hmm. um, and that that was what you know blew my mind as a as a youngster and made me go, I love fantasy, I love writing, etc. I re read a lot of fighting fantasy game books. I don't know if you guys know those. They're sort of like a like a choose your own adventure, but yeah. more violent. Yeah. And um, I love like I love those. But growing up, like because I'm from um, 
a small country town in Australia. So we're a long way away from, you know, the rest of the world, so to speak. So when I was growing up, I would just grab anything that I could get my hands on, anything in the library or in the bookshop that looked vaguely like a fantasy or a science fiction, I would read it. Um, so I'd be, you know, at high school, I'd be reading Asimov and June and all this sort of stuff. Um, but, and now with access to everything and anything, but having said that at university, I studied literature as well. So I've read a lot of non genre stuff. So, um, a book that I read recently that I really enjoyed was Moby Dick. So I read that a couple of years ago and it, it was, it's a fantastic read. So. Um, I read, I've read, um, Anna Karenna recently, which was a great book. Um, so I read, I don't just stick to fantasy. I, f I feel like if I did, my writing would probably suffer because I feel like that if, if you're just in that sort of silo of just, I'm just reading fantasy. Um, I also love, um, so I lived in Japan for a couple of years. So I love um, anime and manga as well. I, I don't, I'm not sort of obsessed with it like some people, but I really love <laughs> Um, Norsica of the Valley of the Wind. Have you guys read that book or? No, I haven't. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, I put it on the same shelf as, um, Lord of the Rings. So it's, oh, wow. it's, it's for me, it's epic fantasy. It's one of the best. I've actually got it here. I'll see if I can pull it out. That's, it's one of the best books I've ever read, read. And here it is. So you can see here Norsica. it's two volumes. And it's um, it's two vol, it's a two volume manga. If I can get that in there, and it was it's um drawn and written by Hayao Miyazaki, who you might know from um, anime fame. So he he did um, Howl's Moving Castle and Princess Mononoke and all those sort of books. So this is an anime. So I know you guys are getting into graphic novels a bit um now. So this is this is an amazing work of art because this is two volumes. This is just one of them. And he, Hayao Miyazaki wrote and drew the entire thing over, you know, decades. So it's the level of detail is incredible. So people talk about world building. This is for me, this is the big kahuna of world building. This is on, on the same shelf as the Lord of the Rings. Um, if you like, if you like fantasy, I sound, I sound like a book tutor. If you really like fantasy, <laughs> you love, you love your fantasy, you love your world building. You, you got to get into Norsica. It's, it's, um, it's an incredible read and, um, yeah, it's my, it's my recommendation. I'm writing that down. I remember my question, but you kind of somewhat answered it, uh, with that, what you were just mentioning right now, because well, we're, we're, book so we read a lot of books right mm -hmm. and you start to figure out like the formula like what they're going with or what's going to happen and a lot of books become predictable like very mm -hmm. so that's where i have to applaud you because the whole time i didn't know what was going to happen which was really good and you think you said it because you will read different genres i believe a lot of these writers stick to just reading one and just kind of uh drawing from that source so um, keep doing that. I, I don't think that was a question because you pretty much answered it. Uh, but yeah, I, I thank you for that because I was reading, a, I was reaching a reading slump. Mm. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to have to pause this for a good minute. But Steve mentioned it, picked it up, loved it. And now we're back. We're rolling with all those books. Wonderful. 
When you started to write Red Harvest Moon, did plotter characters come first? Did you kind of plot that out or did it just kind of evolve on its own? Uh, I think I've just cycled back, back and forth between the two. So character comes from plot, plot comes from character. Um, I wanted to tell, I probably started with that idea of, you know, watching Kurosawa and thinking to myself, I want to have, um, you know, I want, I want swords. I want sword fights. I'm going to need a guy with a sword. And um, I love that sort of the idea of this, you know, mysterious wandering swordsman going from village to village, you know, drinking a cup of tea and looking a bit mysterious and then a fight breaks out and he kicks ass and, you know, I love it. So that that's where I wanted to go, for, go from. And then everything just sort of built around that. So, yeah, pro, uh, just cycle backwards and forwards and setting as well. So constantly thinking about where where are we? What's what? Where can I put this in? Where can, what's a cool environment where I can have something happen? So wherever there's a jewel, I want I want the sort of setting to kind of be awesome as well. So I think about the the final scene in the good, the bad, and the ugly, where there's three of them having a jewel and they're they're in that really cool circular space at the the grave site, and it's mm-hmm. like it's, it's it's a great um, conclusion to the movie. So um yeah i just cycled constantly cycled between the three but i'd say with red harvest moon probably i would have had the idea for the story first and then everything else sort of filled in from there yeah speaking about characters is there any characters in this book that didn't that almost didn't make the final cut that's a good question um no I, i i don't i haven't that's not really um the way i would think about it i would say um uh i did cut i had did cut a couple of characters but um i think that the main characters are there out of necessity and peripheral characters are there to sort of um supply information about the world and or balance out balance out the plot uh and also to sort of flesh out the themes so what's happening with the, the villagers? The villagers have got their own little conflicts going on and that's meant to sort of balance out, um, you know, what's going on with the main characters as well. So, yeah, I don't know. Like, a, um, it's interesting to think of a sort of writing a story and then going, you know what, I don't like you anymore. You cut like a basketball coach or something like that. But <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but I, have, I think I've done that in the past where I've, I've written a story and gone, this guy's not working out. I'm going to have to cut him. I'm going to have to put him on the bench. <laughs> well, are there any side characters that you've considered writing a, a like a spin-off story on? Um, I I want to sort of flesh out um, Crimp's backstory a That's little bit more. So I had I had a few scenes written um, that talked more about how Ren and Crimp met. Yeah. Um, but I thought with the balance of the story, I could only really go into to Ren's backstory and I'll save those ideas for another day. And because it sort of opens up another part of the world, it was um, it was going to take a while to develop. So I thought yeah. I'll, I'll shelve that for a, for a future for a future novel. So. Um, I do have, there is a prequel novella, I'm not sure if you're aware, um, that happened the day before. So um, it tells the story of Droon. So I don't know if your viewers know, but there's another character in the story called Droon who's 
Um, he's a hunter. He's a wild man. And so there's a prequel novella that's about 40 pages long that just basically flows directly into the, the main novel. So it's probably a good entry point for if there's any viewers that are sort of thinking about giving it a go. It's free on my website. So there's a plug. Um, you can, it's called Bane of Wolves and it's about 40 pages. And I, I had a really great time writing that um, as well. So I really like, I really enjoy writing Droon as well. So um, he's, he's got a bit of a different ar a character arc to, to Ren, whereas Ren sort of caught up with this, you know, um, struggling with this, this idea of where does he fit into the world? How can I be, you know, how can I be an, a knight or some sort of um, heroic figure when I've been exiled by my own country, whereas Droon is more... Um, He's got this conflict with the woman that he loves and she's having a baby and all this sort of stuff. So a little bit more small scale. So there, there was that. Um, I'd also, I would like to sort of, um, I've had a few ideas here and there for scenes that could stand alone, but um, I, it's, it's a process of deciding whether or not that scene will go into a novel in the future. So because the novel as it's kind of like a choose your own adventure at this point, like it could go in lots of different directions and a scene that um, might stand on its own might actually work really well in the novel. So yeah, I suppose kinder is my answer. Yeah. Is there, are, are there any tricks that you used or anything that you practiced writing action scenes? Is that because a lot of it's there, they seem really hard to write. Is yeah. there anything that you've, you've practiced or, any tricks that you use to write action scenes? <laughs> so I, I, uh, I'm hopeless at violence personally. Um, I did a little <laughs> bit of martial arts when I was younger, a bit of Taekwondo and a bit of um, Aikido. So when I was in Japan, I studied Aikido a little bit and I, you know, I love when I was a kid, I, I, I used to beg my dad to let me go and do judo, but he was like, no, nah, you're not going to do that. You're going to break your neck. So, I've always been attracted to sort of um, Japanese martial arts. Um, and I also really love um, HEMA, which is um, historical European martial arts. And I think that if I had have written this book 20 years ago, I would have been in trouble because it's so great to be able to um, have the internet, basically. So there's, there's all these historical documents about um, longsword fighting techniques that are dating back hundreds of years that are free on the internet that you can just browse and look at. And then there's all, all these sorts of um, information you can get from that. Um, and there's a lot of people on YouTube that are, you know, demonstrating different fighting techniques. There's a lot of really cool YouTube um, channels where people are testing out, will, will this crossbow bolt pierce this type of armor? It's, it's, it's amazing that for the, for the modern fantasy author, it's just, I, I just think to myself, Okay, if, if Crink shot someone in the head and they're wearing a helmet, would that crossbow bolt go through? Would it glance off the helmet? What are the chances? You know what I mean? So, and then I can just look it up on YouTube and there's some guy with a pig wearing a helmet and he's like, okay, today I'm going to shoot a crossbow bolt at this pig and see if the, you know, that's <laughs> all there. But in, in terms of the actual moves, I, I was, my hope with Ren was that because he's like a longsword master. So yeah. for me to pull that off, I'm going to have to do a lot of research into longsword. So, and I'm sure that there'd be longsword nerds out there that would find fault with what yeah. I've got, but I've done the best I could. Um, 
and there's a lot of me looking at um, sword masters on YouTube demonstrating different holds and different guards and so forth. Mm. And part of that is sort of um, pivotal to the the fights as well. So without getting, giving anything away, some of the sort of training that Ren does as a youngster sort of comes into play throughout. So I sort of showed him learning moves or practicing moves as a young person that then play out in the novel. And those are moves that I've watched people demonstrating on YouTube and then tried to dem write, but do it in such a way that it's not jarring or, um, you know, doesn't take you out of the flow of the story. There's a lot of German terminology that I, I you can't use basically because it's German is not a language in my fantasy world. So, so that my main, my main um, technique is just to research and to think about a reader that loves longsword and hope to satisfy them. Um, also a lot of sort of standing up and holding a broomstick in my lounge room and well, <laughs> what that looks like. And just the, the, the final, in the final duel, Ren uses a move and I, I must've just practiced it myself over and over. Does, is this going to work with this work? So I hope it does. I don't know. So that, 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 that's my secret is just research and get a broom and practice, I suppose. I don't know. <laughs> so, so speaking of spoilers, we wanted to set aside a little bit of time to, uh, to ask some spoilery questions. We don't want to ruin the story for anyone uh, who wants to read it. So we had some spoilery questions for you. Hit me. Did you want to go first? Go ahead. Yeah, you can go first. Oh, but real, real quick before the spoiler talk, just one last question. Uh, sure. It was about the internet. Um, mm -hmm. Are you uh, overwhelmed by the fact that we don't even live in the same country as you, but your book reached us? We live in two separate states, by the way. So yeah. with the power of the internet, do, does it feel overwhelming that, or do you feel like it's more of a relief that it, it's given more of a chance? I think it's it's fantastic. So if, if I was writing this book 20 years ago, I'd have to print off 200 copies. I'd sell five to my mom and, you know, two to my brother and I'd have, they'd be sitting in the shed gathering dust. So it's fantastic. The technology we have today is amazing. I can meet you guys, you know, over the internet, have a conversation with you. It's miraculous. Um, and the other amazing thing I find is that with print on demand, so I can upload my book to Amazon and someone in um, England can press a button and Amazon will print off one copy of it and send it to them. So it's, yeah. it's completely efficient and it's fantastic that the only problem is I would say with the technology is, is that it kind of gets into your head constantly checking, checking the different platforms and checking the different stats and so forth. Um, the, the hard part is just to be able to go, I need to just forget about that and just mm -hmm. give myself a couple of hours to sit down and write. So that's the heart. Like it's, it's, it's so good to have this and it's so great to be able to meet you guys over the internet and thank you so much for your support and boosting the book. I really do appreciate it. It's been great. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's, it's a, a miraculous technology and I, I'm very grateful for it. So yeah, absolutely. Good question. Rolo, go ahead. Do you, you have a spoiler question? Okay, okay. Okay. So when it comes to, um, so spoilers ahead for everyone. Yes. Well, yeah, yes. I'll add tags to the video, but just a, a heads up. So when, so when it, yeah, spoiler tag real quick. So when it comes to a lot of the deaths in this book, um, they were very emotional. Mm. Was that something you were aiming for in the beginning or 
because a lot of these deaths, um, they had a purpose. Like they happened for a reason. Hmm. Was that your intention from the beginning or that just by coincidence it happens? I think there's a, it's, it's a fair bit of discovery. So um, as, as I'm writing the story, I'm discovering these characters and then discovering that they're going to die and then, and then discovering that that's upsetting. So, um, but, but when it, whenever you're trying to write something, I suppose you want, you want to have some sort of emotional component to it. So if someone's dying, then you have to try to make it, you know, it, it, there's a scene where um, one one person dies in his best friend's arms, and that that's mm-hmm. going to be yeah, that's going to be emotional. And the hard the hard part is um, writing that in such a way that it's not, um, you know, the, thinking of the sort of Viet, Vietnam uh, movie where you know, I'm cold, Johnny, that kind of things. <laughs> 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 I'm going to get you out, man. Be okay. yeah. That but, was um, a really sad scene that you wrote. Thank you. Yeah, I was, I was aiming for that. I think I shed a tear or two. I did, I, for a fact, they did with that. Pretty sure. Because it was so sad. Um, that's why I was, that's why I had to ask you about that then. If it was, so you did it, I because we were talking about spoilers. I'm, do you, should we give away who it is? Or do you guys Yeah, have... we're full spoilers. Yes. Yeah, well, I think that. that there's the, one of the chapter titles actually mentions the name of the yeah. character. That gets, uh, <laughs> yeah, that he dies. Yeah, the death of yeah. Um, so it wasn't. Yeah, I, I built I built spoilers into my own table of contents. So <laughs> yeah. Um, I have another question. So when it comes to Ren and his uh, when it, when it comes to Ren and his father, obviously everybody it's a very universal thing that you like. You don't sometimes agree with your parent. Or you don't mm. understand the reasoning behind what they do, because we find out later on that Ren's uh, father pretty much saved his life because mm. he was going to get murdered. He was going to get killed, right? Correct? Am I wrong? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Cool. 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 Um, there's another bit in that uh, part that made me um, shed a tear. It's it's a beautiful quote. I don't know if you thought about it yourself, but it's so good. It said, you never needed my approval. You're my son. I am forever bound to you by this. Something about that just seems so, like, reassuring. That's what I mentioned in my review. That's the bit that mm. I was talking about. Like, something, because yeah. uh, uh, Ren, I feel like he was very, he didn't understand what his, where his dad was coming from. Mm. And did you come up with that yourself? Where did you... What inspired that? Like, it was so... I was like, did his dad tell him this? Like, your father. Did your father tell you? No, I... It was so I, beautiful. I, thank you. No, I did. I came up with that myself. <laughs> um, but I suppose it's just from having a, a good relationship with my own dad. And, um, you know, you, you, I think as you grow up, you do... You sort of get told that you need to do things... Um, that are, you know, if you do things well, then you get approval. So I think that the problem with Ren is he's he's raised he's the son of a swordsmaster. So he he's driven to master that to to win his father's approval, and um, it, it it only really dawns on him too late almost that it's that's not what it's about for his dad. And he's but his his father's not able to convince him of that for a long time. So. Um, 
yeah, so I think that that's having that sort of slowly unravel um, as the novel progresses in flashback. It was a bit tricky to kind of balance that up because it's like how much how much flashback do you put in and where do you put it in and um, how do you make that a genuine um, story as well. So I was pretty happy with how, how it worked out. Um, and, you know, not so much a spoiler, but just a sort of hint about what will happen in the future. So there's more to that whole story um, that needs to be revealed as we go along. So as I say, Ren doesn't know the whole picture because he gets exiled yeah. and then things happen that he's going to experience further pain from. So <laughs> is this insane. So is his father more prominent in the second book? Are we going to see more? Oh, of look, him? look, look, Raul. No, that, that's, that'd, be, <laughs> that'd be telling. <laughs> don't be getting greedy. Yeah, don't be getting greedy. Don't you got to got to you got to you got to pick the book up and read it, Raul. Yeah, I'll wait. I'll I'll give you a year. It's fine. Thank you. Yeah. Give me give me one year. One, one year. year. One solid year. Okay. Yeah. And and you and your your YouTube channel needs to, you know, explode oh, as well. So yeah, we need to I know you guys are going to start blowing up now. So. We're in this together. We'll get, we'll sit down again in a year's time, okay? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, we'll talk book two. Steve, did you have another question? I have one, but I'm, do, you, do you want to go? There were um, about halfway through the book, I was convinced that Crimp wouldn't make it. Yeah. I thought he was. I didn't think he would. I thought he would sacrifice himself or he would go out in a satisfying way. But I didn't think he would make it. Did that ever cross your mind? To did you ever? consider killing a character off and, and not decide to do it? Yeah, I know. I, I, I don't think I was ever going to kill Krimp off. But I think that the issue of who do you kill, you know, it, it does crop up. But a lot of the stuff, like going back to sort of things that I read or watched or enjoyed growing up is um, uh, stories that where it's sort of a belief in heroism or a belief in the sort of enduring power of the hero and... Um, I know that sort of, you know, George R. R. Martin has sort of turned that on its head a bit where anyone can die. And I suppose it's fair. Anyone can die, but um, I don't mind keeping characters alive, um, so to speak, because I, I kind of, you know, grew up reading books like, I don't know if you've heard of Tintin, for example, mm -hmm. or um, so when you pick up a Tintin book, you know that, Tintin's going to make it to the end and you know that Captain Haddock's going to make it to the end, you know? So, um, yeah, so I, I would be reluctant and I'll also, I quite like Crimp, so I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to kill him off because I'd, I'd miss him basically. So, yeah. um, I don't, I wouldn't make any promises because it might, I might reach it. I suppose it kind of comes down to the idea of the writer reaches a point where he's just a servant of the story. Sounds pretentious, but, if this, if I reach a point when I'm writing the story where it becomes apparent that somebody needs to die, then they're going to have to die. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's tricky. Yeah, Rel, go ahead. Okay. Um, another thing, uh, I'm telling you, this is why I took all this bit out for my review. Floric, is that correct? Floric. Yeah. Yes. Hark, yep. Uh, what do you mean when you said death is the food of life? Yeah. So Horik is kind of this crazy druid figure whose his, his god is the god of death, but 
his his take on it is that all life comes from death so things that we find kind of repulsive or repugnant are actually necessary and um his his cult kind of recognizes that so it's um it's it's i suppose uh, a brave choice for a religion to sort of be focused on this idea of death um but he the sim the symbol of um kind of sounds revolting when i think about it but the, the symbol of his religion is the maggot so the, the maggot is first on the scene when someone's when there's been a death yeah it, the maggot arrives and and gets the process of regeneration happening from the get-go so um yeah so i thought that was just meant to be for me it was meant to be just a sort of a different take on a, a druid or a sort of shamanic figure who's who looks at the world completely different so you know ren and crimp especially is like you're insane what are you talking about so you know he's a horrox walking around with a, a a skull mask and he's got dead animals hanging off him and he stinks stinks yeah. <laughs> and he's re repellent but he serves a function in his mind he serves a function within the society because he acknowledges death and he sees it as the the source of all life so um yes yeah, that's where he came from. So, but I, I, I when I wrote the scene, because I sort of tweaked him a little bit and made him even more repugnant at one point. And I wrote the scene where he's dripping with maggots and stinks. And I finished writing it and I, thought, I was like, oh, I actually, actually felt nauseated. I was like, oh. <laughs> so I thought, I must have done something right if I've actually made myself feel sick when I wrote that scene. So, yeah, I, I, I kind of like Horik. I think he's kind of, he's sort of like the, the crazy uncle that shows up and just, yeah. you know, says what he wants and offends people and, and goes away and then disappears and he, he doesn't care. So <laughs> he might show up again. He might, I get the feeling that Horik is the sort of character that will just sort of stagger in, you know, they'll be sitting around the campfire one night and he'll, they'll smell something weird and in comes Horik again. So, yeah, who knows? I liked, I liked I liked him. I liked him. I thought it was, was nice. nice. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't believe you don't use them, which is good. Because characters like, because I mentioned this, that I don't like when there's too many characters. I, You did a great job with adding enough characters that I knew who everyone was and like their relationships. Mm. So I was like, thank God certain characters were not like overused when like you don't really need them. But I did yeah. like how you brought him back during that, um, what with the baker and his, uh, the baker's wife and the daughter. Mm. I like that bit. I was like, yeah, yeah fuck them up. Come on, you got this. <laughs> I loved it. Yeah. I pictured him to be like a, um, I'm picturing him to be a man with just all this stuff on him. Was yeah. he any kind of like supernatural creature? Or no, he's, he's a man, but it's, you don't know. You don't know. Is he young? Is he old? Yeah. You don't really know because he's, he's got this mask of bone, like a, a skull mask, and he's covered. In a, in a shroud and he's cut you know he's probably got a big stink cloud around him so you can't really you don't really you don't want to get too close to find out basically to how old how old he is but he is a man i was picturing like the village like those creatures from the village is that is that the correct movie yeah yeah that's yeah, that's, that's, like that's that the kind of... vibe yeah mm -hmm. yeah he's meant to be a bit uncanny so yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, miles the, the thing or, i'm sorry go ahead Rob. no 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 you go ahead i'm no, sorry go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, okay. So real quick, because I, 
I don't think we can bring him up. Willem? 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 Yeah. Why did you kill him off so early? Someone's got to die, man. Like, you know. Oh, so um, I feel so bad. <laughs> I feel so bad. I was like, why is he killing him off so early? I feel like there could have been a little bit more with him, but you're right. So yeah. it, they made the danger real. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 So if you're going to have monsters that will eat you alive, someone's got to get eaten alive at some point. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, earlier on, I said that I want, I like to keep the idea of keeping people alive, but I suppose I restrict that to your main characters. And, and again, with the caveat that if the story dictates, then anyone can die. But um, Willen is, um, so for anyone that doesn't know, Willen is, um, he's only in the first, scene and there he and Droon are on the run from the ghouls um when they meet the bandits in the woods and it's just to, it, it's essentially to highlight the danger it's yeah. so he's there he's there um to to demonstrate the urgency of the situation and the fact that their lives are in danger and they only narrow, narrowly escape and also um to to make Droon feel horribly guilty about yeah his own yeah. choices in life so yeah yeah so for death and pain is the answer to your question <laughs> i felt that yeah felt pain. definitely well miles i want to i know you're a busy man so i want to thank you for for taking a few minutes to chat with us and i know that with the time difference it's hard to for all the schedules to manage so I, we appreciate you uh you know spending your morning with us mm. No worries. Well, thank you very much for having me. And it's, it's, it is a bit weird. So I'm, it's Monday morning for me. So it's Sunday afternoon for you, I think. So yeah, you're in the future. Um, hello from the future. Uh, <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for your support guys. It's been really great to get to know you and have this chat. Um, and yeah, I look forward to staying in touch with you guys and um, yeah, keep an eye out for book two. I'll keep you updated on how it's going. Well, anytime you want to chat, you just let us know and we'll be happy to, uh, to schedule something with you. Great. Thanks, Steve. I appreciate that. And also, before we let you go, if someone wants to find uh, your work, the your work, and wants to know more about you, where, where can people find you online or or follow your social media? Where is the best place for them to look? Um, I'm on uh, Twitter, so if people want to, you know, meet me and chat to me on Twitter, I'm I'm, I'm there. Uh, also, I have a website, milesert.com, and you can get Bane of Wolves, which is the 40-page prequel novella, free from there. Um, also, I'm on my books are on Amazon, basically. So you can get paperback or ebook editions of um, my books from Amazon. And I will, I will add all those links to the description box. So uh, I hope more people get to read the book and experience it because it's it's just a fun time. It's just a fun book. It's not too heavy. It's enough, and it's uh, it was a, just that's kind of the way I describe it to people. Is it's just a fun time. It's just a fun book. So fun. With, with some death and destruction as well. Yes, yes. Oh, there has to be <laughs> some. some. Yeah. Yeah. It has to be a little <laughs> bit in there. Uh, oh, one more thing, final thing for those people who are watching. I will be doing a second paperback giveaway as soon Ooh. as this video is up. So uh, I will, we will put all that information in the forums. You will we'll set some rules up. Yeah. So hopefully you win. And, and I'll, be giving, away, I'll be giving away a, a paperback copy too. So there'll be two giveaways from this. Oh, so. wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it was a great book. So we're gonna get more people to read it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so thank, thank you, you again, Miles.
Well, thank you very much for having me and uh, have a lovely rest of your day. Hope to speak yeah. again soon. Let us, know how the, let us know how it is in the future. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's great. <laughs> okay, that's great. Okay, thank you, Miles. Thanks, guys. Good luck. Okay. See you later. Bye-bye.